following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology. Let's get into the Word. I'm a little fired up. I'm a little excited right now, so... I'm pretty sure it would be helpful, I know it would be helpful to me, to have an objective way to evaluate whether or not the decisions I make and the way I'm living is wise or not. That would be helpful to me. Some objective standard to figure out whether or not the way we're living is actually wise. And I'm pretty sure that we don't want to measure that by our own standard. I kind of feel like if we're measuring whether or not our life is being lived in a wise way, if we're, if we're measuring that by how we think that should go, I would just say I don't think that that's very wise. We can't come up with the standard ourselves. We're, we're not objective enough, and so we need something else because we regularly face very tough life-altering decisions. Some of you face decisions like that even just in the past seven days. Since we were last together, we face unforeseen and out of control, out of our control circumstances that require some kind of response. And we would prefer, I hope, maybe just nod your head if this is true of you, you would prefer a wise response to that rather than a foolish one. Nod your head if you think that's a good idea. We want to act wisely, not foolishly. And I guess the question really comes down to, do we depend on what we know? Or what God knows. And as you might expect, there are consequences to each of those. If I rely on what I know, there there are consequences that flow from that. If I rely on what God knows, there's consequences, good ones, that, that flow from that as well. Today's passage, we lock down the difference between what the passage calls the wisdom that is from above and wisdom that is earthly not from above. And as we do that, we're going to ask the question that's right there in verse 13. I'm going to read the whole passage in just a moment. Uh, but the question is there, who, who is wise and understanding among you? Who is wise and understanding among you? And so that's what we're going to see. Let's uh, get into the word right away. This is James 3, uh, 13 through to the end of the chapter. I'll read this. We'll pray and we'll start uh, working through these verses. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder disorder, and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's pray. Father, um, some of us are pretty slow to get things. 
And so we would ask this morning that you would be patient with us and that you would teach us today. Some of us, God, are flat out rebellious. We need a strong word from you today to challenge that in us. And so we would pray that you would speak it with authority into our lives. And God, some of us here are a little discouraged, faint-hearted, and I pray, God, that you would lift us up through the preaching of the word today. God, hear our prayer, answer it. We plead with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, ready to go? You worshiped really well today. It was a great time in worship, wasn't it? Time for the word. Let's get into it and hear what God has for us today. Are you living wisely or not? That's the question. That's the short question. Are you living wisely or not? Flowing out of this text. Now, we've got two bigger questions. I'm going to expand that out, but they're exactly the same thing. Here's the first one. Are you living a self-sufficient life that denies the truth? We're going to build the rest of this question in a moment. That's what we're going to start with, a self-sufficient life that denies the truth. I was... um, down at BJ's Records on uh, Clapperton Street, just up from the Five Points. How many people have ever been there? Great little store. If you really like vinyl and old music, that's the place to go and to get it. So I was down there, and um, I was there for another reason, but I just kind of feel like if you go into that store, you can't not buy something and bring it home. And so I, I saw an album that I had when I was younger, a uh, little, little Bob Dylan um, slow train coming. And those of you who know any of the history of Dylan know that he recorded, he had a period of time in his life where he kind of did the Christian thing for a little while and recorded three albums. Uh, this one being the first slow train coming. How many people have this album right now? Really? Brandon, you seem entirely too young to have had this album. Um, but, um, he made this simple, but profound statement in probably the most well-known song on the album. I, I've been listening to Dylan all week, and so now you're going to as well. (laughs) Here we go. You can groove if you want. Ready? You're going to have to serve somebody. Listening now? It may be the devil, or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. All right, that's pretty cool, right? All right. You're going to have to serve somebody. You're going to have to. And Dylan lays it out for us. There's only two choices that you can possibly make. You're going to serve the Lord, as he puts it, It may be the devil, or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. You say, well, I'm going to serve myself, or I'm going to serve some other deity, some other God, or some other philosophy of life. I'm going to serve that, and you have to know, there's only two categories. It's the Lord, or it's the devil, and if you're serving yourself, if you're serving some other philosophy of life, if you have some other small g God that you're pursuing, you're serving the devil. There's only two choices. And to be reliant on what you think, your experiences, your knowledge, your common sense, or even what others might say to you is to be self-sufficient. Among the most 
among the most asinine things I ever hear said. And you hear this often around kind of like teaching children or teaching youth or in the area of sports or pursuit of the arts. You just hear this all the time. Just believe in yourself. Just believe in yourself. Like, I believe in myself to the extent that I know I exist. I exist. Therefore, I believe in myself. Okay? But, but I believe. Here's what I believe about myself. Dumbest thing people say. All right? Here's the thing I believe about myself. I believe that I am a sinner. That's what I believe about myself. I believe that in and of myself, there's nothing good coming out apart from Christ. I believe that I am depraved, oriented toward sin. I believe in the darkness of my own heart. That's it. The rest, I can't trust. Because I, what I know about myself is this. I know my frailty. I know my fallibility. And I know the fleeting nature of my own existence. And so how could I possibly, in light of that, trust my own judgments? And James calls out those who do, who, who boast, he says in verse 14, who boast and, and are false. This is a bit of an awkward phrase in the ESV. They're false to the truth. That's not ex- actually the way we say anything. Uh, NASB says they lie against the truth or the NIV says they deny the truth. Either way, you're deceived. This is where we all start out right here. Denying the truth. A self-sufficient life that denies the truth following. Here's where we go next. Following the corrupted ways of this world. Once I have my beliefs set down, then that's going to determine the path that I actually follow. And so verse 15, notice he says, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above. It's not that wisdom. Then he describes it with three words. You see them there in verse 15. He says it is, uh, this is earthly wisdom. Not, not in the sense that it's like common sense. It's stuff we learn. It's just very you know, kind of earthy in that sense. But really, when James is using this, and anytime you would see this in the Scriptures, what it's really referring to is the inferiority of it. It's limited in scope. It's, it's earthly. It can only see what's down here. It's limited in perspective. It is, by its very nature, anti-divine. Secondly, he says that it's unspiritual or sensual, but not really in the... Not really in the sexual sense of that, but more in the sense that it's natural. It's natural, merely human, not spiritual or supernatural in any way. That's what I love about gathering here together as the church. We can do a lot of this in our own strength, but we pray so earnestly that God would do something here that transcends our own abilities so that when we walk away from this place, the one getting the glory and the credit for all of this is the Lord God himself, that it's not our talents, it's not our energy, it's not the time that we put in, but God gets the glory because he did something supernatural now the wisdom that is not from above we get to take the credit there's no supernatural element to it at all and he says this earthly unspiritual verse 15 continues demonic 
or you can write, write this down, demon-inspired, demon-inspired. I got to admit a little bit of discomfort at this point with actually preaching this kind of stuff because I think we all resist a little bit the hard lines. We resist more than a little bit the fact that it's, it's either or, that there's no kind of gray area, no middle ground uh, here at all, that it's, it's demonic. James chooses this word under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We like a tolerance, acceptance. We like grace. And we like grace more often to the exclusion of having any, any truth attached to it. We would, we would take this word demonic and we would really only, we would reserve it for those times when, you know, people are frothing at the mouth and their eyes are twisting around in their head and there's this ominous feeling and unintelligible words are being spoken, that there's violence attached to it. We would use demonic for the very highest level of the extraordinary supernatural uh, dark forces kind of activity. James uses it here for wisdom that's not from God. A very normative sense. And if you're relying on your own wisdom, if you think your way, whatever that is right now, whatever you're dealing with, if that's your plan, then you're in league with the unseen dark forces of this universe. You have bought their lie. That's really what James is saying. You, you've believed them. You're following the corrupted ways of this world. No matter what else you might call it, that's what it is. It's demonic. We're building this question. Are you living a self-sufficient life that denies the truth following the corrupted ways of this world, resulting in a heart given to strife? Now, this was the issue that James was addressing in this particular church, this group of people, in fact, probably a group of churches, uh, that there were among them some contentious relationships happening. People were buying into something other than God's wisdom about all of this, and it was resulting in some pretty, some pretty awful things in the church. Check it out in verse 14, now the first part. It was resulting in bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in their hearts. All of the contention, all of the division and the strife that was happening in this church was happening as a result of something that was actually in their hearts. He repeats the phrase again in the first part of verse 16. In fact, if you look ahead to chapter 4, the verses that we'll look at uh, next week, uh, chapter 4 gives us a very real sense that James was addressing very real problems in the church. He identifies it here as bitter jealousy. That's what's, uh, what's best for me, bitter jealousy. I want what's best for me. I have a corresponding, if I want what's best for me, then I have a corresponding lack of concern about what's good for you. It's bitter jealousy. It's a desire for more of what others have. I, I see what you have. I, I want what you have. And it causes this deep, it's deep-seated inside of me. I, you have possessions that I want. How come I don't have those things? 
You have a job that I want. You have the family that I want. You have the friends that I want. You have the recognition and affirmation that I want. There's so many things that you have that I want. That's bitter jealousy in the church. You can see how that would be so destructive. It's the antithesis of love. It's the antithesis of the uncommon community that we're seeking to build here. And then he says, the heart given to strife, bitter jealousy, and selfish ambition. I know what's best for me. I'm, I love this one. I, I'm the smartest guy in the room. So often we believe this about ourselves. I'm the smartest guy in the room. I can't help but self-promote. Because I really am that good. That's selfish ambition. I see those two things and I really understand it can't help but lead to a life of ongoing sin and turmoil. That's the last part of this question we've built. This is, this is the natural outcome. You, you can't have any other outcome if this is the pattern of your life. What I've described to you here so far will lead to what verse 16 says is disorder and every vile practice. The, the, the disorder is the turmoil. It's, it's the relational conflict. It's the circumstances that I have created because of the philosophy of life, the wisdom that I've pursued that is earthly wisdom. The vile practices speak to the moral choices I'm now going to make that are going to play out in immoral, sinful choices, sinful results and actions. And James has just come off. You know this if you were here last week. If you weren't, you should listen to this message about the words and taming the tongue, measuring what we say, getting that all under control in our lives. He's just come off this section there's nothing, there's nothing that more negatively affects the life of the church more than divisiveness and wounded souls that are caused by the careless and malicious use of our words. Nothing more devastating than that. Those sinful words and the turmoil they cause, they flow out of a heart that's already made a decision about the kind of wisdom that it's going to pursue. A decision about being self-sufficient, thinking your wisdom is better than God's wisdom. And so when we get all the way to this point, this, this point where we're understanding that this is going to result in sin and turmoil in our lives, I would have to ask, if, if this is something that you would actually use, a phrase that you would use to describe your life right now. If you were to do some just honest, real authentic evaluation of your life right now, would you say? There's a lot of turmoil. There are some ongoing sin issues that I've not dealt with and I've not been successful at dealing with. And all of that stems back to some choices that I've made. Is that true for you? Is this passage hitting a chord for you today? You have to back it all the way through and see this as the root issue of denying the truth. 
thinking that your way is a better way than God's way of doing things. That your wisdom is wiser than God's wisdom. And the only way to turn that around is to agree with God about the source of wisdom. His word. The wisdom of God. And this is what we're going to see a little bit later on in the text. Because with all the turmoil and ongoing sin issues, what you lack then is peace. And the wisdom of God leads to the peace of God. Disorder and moral ambiguity result from doing things your own way. So there it is. That's the first question. Are you living a self-sufficient life that denies the truth, following the corrupted ways of this world, resulting in a heart given to strife and a life of ongoing sin and turmoil? Yes or no? Here's a second question. Instead of that, are you living a Christ-centered life that humbly pursues the truth? Now, back in verse 13, he talked about, you'll see it there, the latter part, he talked about the meekness of wisdom. He connects wisdom and meekness together. And he's saying that in contrast to the turmoil that we saw uh, earlier, wisdom is something quite different. Meekness is not a word that we use a lot. One of the most common definitions for it is, is strength under control. It certainly does not mean weakness. It doesn't mean we get rolled over. It's strength under control. But when we see that the meekness of wisdom, really what's flowing out of wisdom then, here are some great words to jot down. You're taking notes. Wisdom is gentle. Wisdom is tender. It's kind. It's controlled. It's measured. And the Christ follower who is pursuing this wisdom that is from above is growing in that not that you have it all right now none of us are going to have it all but we're growing in it will exhibit in their character then the same characteristics of the meekness of wisdom that we should be seeing in increasing measure in our lives gentleness and tenderness and kindness toward one another, and self-control in our words and actions. That's, it, it's like wisdom then, the wisdom that is from above becomes embodied in us as we continue to walk with Christ and pursue the truths of his word. And all of this reflects true humility in the believer. That we know our place. We don't think so much of ourselves because we've really embraced God's way. We've embraced God's wisdom. It, it takes humility to be able to embrace that. And then here's what happens. Because again, the context is about these contentions in our relationships. And here's what happens. When you get your eyes on Jesus Christ, then you're going to be able to bring into focus all the people around you in a godly way. You're going to see them the way that God wants you to see them. All the people around you come into godly focus. Those relationships begin to make sense in the way they ought to make sense to those of us who pursue Christ. 
Now, by the way, having said all of that, and James is writing to the church, he's writing to people who are professing believers in Christ. And as I talk about having this relationship with Christ, it may be that you don't have that yet. And maybe all the turmoil in your life and the lack of peace is there because you have not yet surrendered your life in faith uh, to Jesus Christ. I get that done today. And so to the issue of relational harmony or lack of it, this is what James is addressing here. I love what Steve Canfield has said about this. Check this out. Harmony is not the absence of differences, but rather the absence of self-interest. Okay, that's the humility that flows out of our life because we're embracing a truth that God has delivered to us. It's not the absence of differences, but the absence of self-interest. The problems that we face, the conflicts that we have, what Canfield calls the differences between us, relationally, in our marriages, our families, in our friendships, in the church, in the workplace, in your neighborhood, wherever it happens to be, those differences, they're always going to exist. It's so telling to me that in Jesus' final prayer, before he goes to the cross, he prays. He prays for what? John 17. I pray that they would be one. Now, you listen, you pray things because you know they're going to be a problem. You pray things because it's a need that you have. Jesus, who is God and is omniscient and knows everything about us better than we even know these things, Jesus prays that we would be one knowing that we will have an internal mechanism that causes us to have conflict and be divided for one another. So how about this? We do everything we can possibly do by the power of God's Holy Spirit to fulfill the prayer of Jesus Christ. Amen? We want to fulfill that. I want us to be one. I want division to be put aside. I'm not addressing any particular issues, by the way. I am not. You allow the Lord to speak to you. And so we have these. They're always going to exist. Really, the deal is, are we going to handle the conflicts that happen in all of these different areas? Are we going to have, handle those in a godly way? And it's going to depend on whether or not we pursue God's wisdom or our own wisdom, whether we pursue him and set aside our own self-interest in all of this. Are you living a Christ-centered life that humbly pursues the truth Then this, following the untainted ways of God's kingdom. The untainted ways of God's kingdom. And check this out. God's kingdom is untainted. And in case you haven't picked this up yet, okay, the church as we have it now is not untainted. Correct? This is a this is a weak, fallible group of people we are a work in progress that makes sense we're forgiven by the grace of god uh, but still sin that's why james writes this letter to a group of believers because we still have a tendency uh, to upset one another to cause problems to be in the middle of conflict in fact i think it would be helpful for us right now Uh, to turn to the person beside you and say, I'm the reason why this church is imperfect. Go ahead and do that. 
That's right. And by that, I meant that you weren't to say that Todd's the reason this church is imperfect. (laughs) But I can see the confusion because that also is true. Now notice, the church, not perfect, but God's kingdom. The kingdom that we represent, the kingdom that we are increasingly seeking to reflect, that kingdom is untainted. In verse 17, then, we get a description of this wisdom that we're really pursuing. And, and he starts by calling this the wisdom that is from above. We're starting this, and he intentionally says, it is first, first, pure. Not, not first in the, set, in the sense that, oh, I got eight things I want to say to you, and this is the one I happen to put first. Let me start here. But first in terms of priority. There's a reason why he fronts purity here. We can go to a lot of places to find counsel, to get advice. We can go to a lot of different places to to get a philosophy of life that we could live by. But wherever else you go for counsel, you're not going to find this. You're not going to find an approach to life. You're not going to find wisdom that is pure, untainted. Every other approach to life is influenced by some level of self-interest. You pick up some guru book at Costco. The author wants to make money. You know that, right? The author wants to go on the lecture circuit. They want you to watch their infomercials. Then they want you to buy the follow-up book that says more about whatever wackiness he said in the first book. They're motivated by self-interest. They're looking to make money. It's emanating from a consumer culture. I'm not saying that all of those guru books are necessarily unhelpful or wrong to read. But let's understand that even in what we would consider to be our purest motives, we are still impure. There's always some level of self-interest. Not to mention the fact that no one sees the end of time. No counselor that you can go through can possibly tell you what is actually going to happen tomorrow. I'm not going to run down counselors. I appreciate what they do. I don't get it, but I appreciate what counselors do. I don't ever want to do it, but I appreciate what they do. But a lot of the time, because they don't know the end of time and they don't know the circumstances that you're actually going to face, and they can't even possibly know the entire backstory, though they may listen to that for three or four sessions while they get paid 80 bucks an hour. But a lot of the time, they're just doing this. They're just doing this. What am I doing? Just throwing darts. They're just trying to hit the target. They're just trying to come up with something because they don't know the whole story. They don't, they don't know what's coming next. I'm not running down counselors. I'm just saying they're limited. No one knows all the details. No one is sinless themselves. But here's a great thing. You know what the great thing is? God has all of that going for him. All of it. He is not in the least motivated by self-interest. He is motivated by love. Proof. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him 
would not perish but have everlasting life. He is not motivated by self-interest. He loves you unconditionally, loves you. Why wouldn't we go to him for counsel? Why wouldn't we count his wisdom to be far above anything else we could ever pursue? Plus, he knows the beginning of all things. He knows how everything in life works out. He knows everything about the human condition. There is nothing that anthropologists or sociologists or psychologists could ever come up with that's correct that God hasn't already known. He made us. He's the creator. Plus, he's omniscient. He knows what's coming next. He knows all things. He knows exactly what's going to happen Monday morning for every person in this room. Why wouldn't we go to him for wisdom? Follow the untainted ways of God's kingdom. I want his wisdom. The wisdom that's from above, it's, it's first pure, it's, it's untainted in every way. Flowing from that then, he's, he says this, it's, check this out, peaceable. I just thought it would be helpful to look at these verses, the opposites. This is what we want to pursue, the untainted ways of God's kingdom. His wisdom is first pure, then peaceable, rather than contentious. It's gentle, rather than harsh. It's open to reason versus difficult and unbending. I'm going to put a little star beside that one for myself. Hang on a second, Hillary. That's one of mine. I preach to myself too. Are you starting some of these for you? Full of mercy versus ambivalence or meanness. Good fruits versus ongoing bad results. Impartial versus bias and unfairness. We can't help but be biased. Sincere versus hypocritical. If we want that kind of wisdom and a life characterized by these kinds of things, and it's only found in the untainted ways of God's kingdom. Amen? That's it. That's where we find it. And it always results then in a heart compelled to serve. If you didn't get all that list down, you know that'll be online. Resulting in a heart compelled to serve. So regarding the wise person, James then says, again back to verse 13, by his good conduct, let him show his works. And this faith works theme is really the common theme that runs through all of the book of James. And if you're given to wisdom and the pursuit of Jesus Christ, then you will show by your outward actions that you are the person you profess to be. The actions flow out of the statement of faith. Your heart will be aligned with God's heart. The four ways that that's going to show up in your life. Check this out. A heart compelled to serve. In your personal walk with Christ. You will seek intimacy with him. You'll have a desire for this. It's the only way to get the wisdom. Do you spend time in the word? Do you spend time in prayer? Are you cultivating your intimacy with him? In this time of worship that we had here this morning, were you passionately engaged in that? Did it move you? Did you feel like there was actually a connection with the Lord? Secondly, in your family. 
You're going to want to create a godly home that elevates Jesus Christ. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's what you want. Joshua 24, 15. You want that, the banner over your home as it is over our home. Uh, thirdly, in your church, in your small group, in your serving group. You're going to want to seek the welfare of others. Small group's not about you. Did you know that? I mean, ultimately, I get that it's about the glory of God. Everything is. But, but more on the horizontal level, please understand, small group is not about you. I went to a small group tonight. I just didn't get anything out of it. Small group's not about you. I talked to Henry this week. He's new to the church. He and his wife, Tanya, and, and uh, they went to their small group. And uh, very first small group meeting, Thursday night, they get recruited to move a piano on Saturday. Okay, that's uncommon community right there. That's not thinking of yourself because there isn't a person in the world that wants to move a piano. No one. Not even piano movers, to be honest with you. Nobody wants to do that. So are you seeking the welfare of others rather than yourself, choosing to love, to build uncommon community? Fourth, how about this? In your neighborhood and workplace, you will represent Christ above all. Do people in your neighborhood know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that you really love God? I mean, not, not because you pulled out of the driveway this morning when no one else in your street was, but I mean... Because they know you. Because they see the difference. Do people in your workplace know that you love Jesus Christ more than anything else? Or are you just another person on the job? You're just like everyone else. And they'd be as surprised as anyone to find out that you actually are part of a community like this. You have a heart that's compelled to serve because you're following the untainted ways of God's kingdom. Are you representing Christ above all? Are you seeking the opportunity to boldly share the message of Christ? To say to people, come and see what's going on in our church. Wisdom that's from above compels this from all of us. And all of this produces, check this out now, a life of goodness and peace. Let's just vote right now. How many people want goodness and peace? Survey time. How many people want that? That was a dumb question. This is what we all want. I want good things in my life. I want peace, not turmoil. The whole thing wraps up here with verse 18, where he talks about this harvest, this abundance of righteousness, good things in our lives. Good things come when we pursue the peace that God offers to us through Jesus Christ. The Father sent the Son to bring us peace. There was an enmity, a hatred that existed between us and God. Is there as a result of the sin that characterizes our lives? Jesus Christ came, giving his life on the cross, dying, shedding his blood, buried, raised to new life, conquering sin in the grave. We just celebrated this a few weeks ago at Easter. We celebrated every Sunday. Christ did all of this so that the 
the enmity, the dividing wall of hostility that Paul calls it in, in Ephesians, that that would be erased. That we could be at peace with God. That's the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To eliminate the division. To bring us into relationship with himself. And I spoke about that earlier. I, I, if you don't have a relationship, I'm talking to people who are believers here, but if you don't have a relationship with him, this is what God wants to do for you. He wants to create peace between you and him and to draw you into a relationship with himself. And the wisest thing that you could do right now as we talk about wisdom is confess your sin and turn your life over to him to follow him. Tell him this. Just pray this. Father, I've been doing it my way, relying on my wisdom for too long. Help me to believe your word and what you've said. I am a sinner. I've brought about this division between us. I want that erased. Would you forgive me and draw me into a relationship with yourself? Would you give me the peace that my heart longs for? That's so all you have to do is pray that. Turn your life over to Jesus Christ. Because I'm certain that's what you want in life. That's what we all want. It's goodness and peace. And you'll find that in pursuit of God's wisdom. The wisdom of God, I said it earlier, the wisdom of God leads to the peace of God. Something some of us in this room are actually lacking. It's time to turn to agree with God and find it in Him. So those are the two questions. The big one that God has started off with this, are you living wisely or not? Are you living a self-sufficient life or are you living a Christ-centered life? Are you living a life that denies the truth or one that humbly pursues the truth? Are you following the corrupted ways of this world or the untainted ways of God's kingdom? Do you have a heart given to strife or a heart compelled to serve? A life of ongoing sin and turmoil or a life of goodness and peace? Which do you have? Let's pray. God and Father, thank you. Um, we love, love, love your word. We love the clarity of it. We love the simplicity of it. God, we even love the urgency of it. And I thank you, Father, that we could uh, be here today and hear these great words from you. And I have no doubt that there are some in the room who would even say, that this past week, I was relying on my own wisdom. I was doing things in my own strength. I, I wasn't doing it God's way. And God, I pray that you would press that into every one of our hearts right now. That wherever there were those rebellions and that intentionality. To not do things your way, God. I pray that we would turn from that, repent from that, even in this very moment. God, that we would restore our relationship with you and find the peace that only you can provide. I pray for those, God, who are going through difficult circumstances right now. And God, I know that not every circumstance is the result of sinful choices. 
But where the circumstances are the result of that, God, I pray that you would relieve the turmoil and bring those individuals, those families to a place of peace before you. Father, hear this prayer that we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We pray that today's message was encouraging and challenging. For more info about Harvest Bible Chapel, check us out online at harvestberry.ca. Thanks again, and remember, you are loved.